When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. This is the word of God. The little church where I grew up never had a chef, never had a cook. In fact, it didn't have a kitchen until I was a junior in high school. Whenever the church wanted to eat together, they had to all bring food from their homes, potluck. To be sure that the meal was fairly well balanced, they would often say that a certain Sunday school class would bring salad, someone else would bring vegetables, someone would bring dessert, and one class would bring the meat for that particular occasion. And then they'd shift it around. The next time, well, all of you who have last names beginning A through E will bring the meat, and those who have F through J, and so on. This text today is John's understanding of the feeding of the 5,000. It's what John understood to have been happening in Jesus teaching them what that miracle was all about. All the Gospels record the feeding of 5,000. They all mention fish, but they also all focus more on the bread. The bread, five little loaves that fed 5,000 people with everyone eating all he or she wanted and 12 baskets being gathered up when all were through. Number one. In this text today, the thing that drew my eye first of all was the part about the crowds got into the boats and hurried to Capernaum. They were looking for Jesus. Looking for Jesus, believing that what our needs are can be met in him. If with all your heart ye truly seek me, ye shall surely find me, thus saith the Lord. You read Donald Haynes' column in your United Methodist Reporter. Uh, just recently he was talking about growing up on a farm. Donald Haynes is old enough that his family had one of those old farms where there was no running water, where his mother had to cook three meals a day on a wood-burning stove. There were always men working in the fields who had to be fed. So his mother got up early and fixed a big breakfast. She worked hard during the morning to prepare a meal for men who'd been working outside all morning long. She prepared another meal for late evening when all of them came in, got washed up and ready to eat. Don says, my grandmother on my father's side had also moved into our house and she was a cantankerous old woman who just made life miserable for my mother. He said, I finally got big enough that one day I noticed when my mother had washed the dishes after the evening meal, 
she quietly took her Bible and went out the back door. I followed her. She went down a little trail where there was an old stump from a tree that had been cut years before, and she sat down on that stump and opened her Bible. She heard me rustling behind her, and she simply went, So I stood still. She read a few minutes. She closed her Bible, never saying a word out loud. Closed her Bible and bowed her head. And she prayed, but not out loud. And then she raised her eyes and she watched the sun set down over the trees. And she went back to the house. I followed her the next day. As I got close to her, after she sat down on the stump, she said, Shh. She read silently. She prayed silently. She watched the sunset, and she went back to the house. And I discovered that the thing that kept my mother sane and that kept her going was that she went down there every day and sat down on that stump looking for Jesus. She was looking for Jesus and the help that she needed to go to bed and get up and start all over again the next morning. Number two, John says here, in sort of a negative way, we can rephrase it a little more positive way, you are not looking for me because you've seen the sign, Jesus said. You are not looking for me because you have seen the sign. Now, you know that three of the four Gospels look enough like each other that we call them synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We believe Mark was the oldest, we know it's the briefest, and that Matthew and Luke seem to build on the same basic outline that Mark used. The two of them, Matthew and Luke, have a lot more teaching material, the parable material, than does Mark. But they're very similar in some ways, though there are differences. So we call them synoptics. But John's Gospel comes at almost everything from a different perspective. He looks at things differently, and he accounts for things in a different way. If one reads the Gospel of John, it's an interesting exercise to note specifically the places where he talks about this word sign. The first is in chapter 2 of his Gospel. Jesus and his disciples went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Suddenly Jesus' mother walked over to him and said, The host is running out of wine. He said, Woman, what has that got to do with me? She didn't answer. She just walked away. He said to those who were waiting on the guest, Bring water. They brought the huge jars called, uh, holding the waters of purification. He said, Distribute to the guest. As they began to pour for the guest, the guests were amazed. My, they said. Usually hosts serve the very best wine they have at the beginning. When everybody's about half gone, they bring out the wine that's not so good. This time, the very best wine was saved till last. Reading John, it says, this changing of water into wine was the first sign done in the presence of the disciples for them to believe in him. Skip to chapter 4. An official of the temple, of the, the synagogue in Capernaum, came to Jesus where he was preaching and teaching and said, My son is dying. Please come and help. 
And Jesus says in John's Gospel, Go home, your son will live. The man started home. When he got there, the servants met him, running down the road saying, Your son is well, your son is well. When did you notice a change? And they said, Yesterday at one o'clock. And the man knew it was the moment when Jesus had said, Go home, your son will live. The second sign. Read John's Gospel. Look for the signs. You know the last one? The last one is when he walked out to a tomb at Bethany and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And some followed him and others plotted against his life. A man who can raise people from the dead is not to be trusted, they said, and they got ready to crucify him. So sign after sign after sign. Do you see the signs? Do you see the signs? I say you didn't see the sign. Number three was the feeding of the 5,000, by the way. That was number three. You didn't see it. You didn't get it. You're following me just because you got your fill of bread. This summer in almost every magazine I've picked up and in lots of newspapers I've read, there have been people telling you what to read in the summertime. If you're going off on vacation, you have time to read. Here is a good book. Here's a great new book. But some reviewers say, if you want to read good books, read old ones. Maybe you haven't read in years or you never read. And one of those recently said, you need to read Henry James' book called What Maisie Knew. This particular reviewer said it was Henry James' greatest. 113 years ago, he wrote it, 113 years ago, about a 10-year-old girl named Macy who has a lot of problems. Now, you remember that Henry James was Will James's brother. Will James got married and fathered children and so on, but Henry did not. Henry lived most of his life as a solitary being. His nieces and nephews lived hundreds of miles from him. He was not around children. And yet this reviewer said he really understood how a 10-year-old girl's mind works. That 10-year-old children are very astute observers, but very poor interpreters. Little Maisie's mother and father are having trouble, and eventually they divorce. Each then finds somebody else and gets married. And then when they all get fairly close together again, the two new spouses fall in love with each other. And these marriages fall apart. And the ten-year-old little Maisie thinks that she's the one at fault. She observes keenly. She interprets poorly. And Henry James has a line in that novel that says, Little Maisie could not understand the signs. Number three. Well, we want this bread every day. That's what they said. Give us this bread every day. Now, if you've been reading John's Gospel start to finish, you know we've had a similar story to this two chapters ago. Jesus and the disciples according to John's account, had been down to Jerusalem. They're going back up to Galilee along the river road, the Jordan River. Judea was in the south, Galilee in the north, but right in the middle was an area called Samaria. These were the mixed bloods. 
Jews who 800 years before had been raped and plundered and intermarried with the Assyrians so that they ceased to exist as a separate people. These mixed-blooded folks lived in Samaria and pure bloods didn't mess with these mixed bloods. Jesus and the disciples are going up the river road. Gets to be noontime. The disciples say, we're hungry. Why don't we go into the Samaritan village and buy bread? Well, that'll be fine. But I think I'll sit down here by the well and wait for you. And while Jesus waited at the well, a woman came up to draw water. Unusual. Not that women drew water, but they did it early in the morning, late in the afternoon. And they went in groups. It was dangerous to be out by oneself. A single woman, middle of the day. Ostracized, perhaps. Because in the conversation we discover she's been married five times and is living with a fellow now. She's not even bothered to marry. But Jesus is asking her for a drink of water. No, you Jews don't drink out of utensils that we Samaritans use. If you knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink. I would give you a drink. You'd never be thirsty again. Well, she does not understand all that's going on, but she understands this part. Boy, give me that water so I don't have to come and draw it every day. That's exactly what the crowd says to Jesus. Give us the bread every day so we don't have to plant and we don't have to de-weed and we don't have to reap and we don't have to grind and we don't have to bake. Just give us the bread every day like Moses gave the manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said, it wasn't Moses. It was God who gave the manna. It was God. And it was God who will feed you if you're willing to be fed. They want the bread now. Another reviewer said, you want to read a great old book? Read an old book. Oh, an old book. 121 years ago, a Dutchman named Cooperus wrote a book called Eline Vera. Eline Vera. This is about a young woman who's read a lot of books. And what that means is you better be wary of women who read a lot of books. They're, nothing, they're up to trouble for sure. They read a lot of books, particularly 113 years ago. And so Elaine is one of those. I mean, she reads books that make her dream and hope for something better. She imagines maybe she could leave the Netherlands and go to England and live in one of those big castles and have a rich husband who loved her forever. But that isn't the way her life is playing out, of course. And here is the paragraph. No matter how many there were who were suffering, everybody else just kept eating and drinking, pursuing materialism every day. No one seemed to care. We just want to keep on eating and drinking, and no one really caring. Give us this bread every day so we don't have to work for it ever again. Number four. John's Gospel differs in that 26 times he uses an expression, ego, a me. Ego, we have this word in English, ego. It comes from this Greek word, ego, which simply means I. But if you say ego, a me, it's more intensive. It's more of I myself am. I myself am. Now, it's pretty clear what John's trying to accomplish here. Moses was confronted by God at the burning bush. God said, I want you to go back to Egypt, face down Pharaoh, let my people be free. 
I know Pharaoh. He has all these charioteers. He's not about to let all these slaves go free. Oh, yes, he will, God said. I'll visit plague upon plague upon him until he does let my people go free. I need you to be my voice there. Go back to Egypt. Well, wait a second. I'm going to need help. And everybody in the Middle East knows a similar name for you. Il El Al. And they're all screaming, Il El Al, how are you going to hear me? Okay, I'll give you a different name. And the name was, you remember, Eye Asher Eye. Usually translated for you and me, I am. But it's an unusual form of the verb to be. It can mean, I will be who I will be. Or even, I am becoming who I am becoming. That is my name. Well, Dr. Gerhard von Rod, the great German theologian of last century, said, what he meant was, I'll be what you need me to be. Get on the road to Egypt. I am. I am who I am. Twenty-six times in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I myself am. And then he gives a predicate. A predicate. Four times he says, I myself am bread. But he also says, I myself am life. I am truth. I am the way. I am the vine. I am the resurrection. I am life everlasting. Sure you know how to read the signs? You sure you know what kind of bread I'm talking about? Well, what is the work of the Lord, they ask? The work of the Lord is this, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. God has put his seal on this one. The Holy Spirit saying, this is my beloved son, in him I am truly pleased. Believe in him. Ninety-six times in the Gospel, John uses that word, believe. Believe, believe, believe. I've written all this in order that you may believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And believing, have life in him. So, when he says, I am the resurrection, it's also in John's Gospel that Jesus said, but if I go, I will prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Almost every week, we have somebody from Boston Avenue in a hospital who's close to death. We have numbers who are not close to death in the hospital, but we have one or two almost every week who's really close conversations with those people are always very interesting. Many of them say, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of what I've got to go through to get there. And occasionally someone will say, but what will be the first thing we experience when we open our eyes on the other side? What will that be? Dr. James Howell is a United Methodist minister at Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's recently told a story about one of his little daughters, who in the middle of the night they discovered, cried out, had a high 
temperature, a fever. He said, my wife did everything she could. Then it was my turn. We've had a little experience with this, he said. We know that a child's temperature can run up so quickly, it can run back down quickly if the right things begin to happen in its body, if it's fighting everything properly. But it scares you nonetheless, he said, and I was tending her in the middle of the night. I'd put a cool, cool cloth on her forehead. I'd even chipped up some ice and let her put a little chipped ice in her mouth. And I said to her, now it's time for you to try to sleep. I think if you could sleep, when you woke up, you'd feel much better. She nodded. Is there anything else you need from me, he said. And she said, just be right there when I open my eyes. And Jesus said, I'll be there. I'll be there.